thank you and we'll comment, welcome to this, uh, this uh, one hour and 15 seminar on, uh, on preaching. The nuts and bolts on preaching, the reason why I'm calling it that is, uh, is because this is part of a bigger course I've had for some preachers, some from Lithuania, some from Oslo, uh, a couple of times, uh, on preaching. Because as you know, preaching is important, faith comes from teaching, uh, from, from, from preaching, and, uh, and we are supposed to, to dig into the word of God and share it with others. So, um, so that's why the nuts and bolts, this is very short, but I will try to give you some tools and some key perspectives when it comes to preparing uh, sermons. Do, have some of you been preaching before in any... Any? Yeah, I know. You, I know you have sometimes. Okay, good. Most of you are skilled, or I know some of you have even professionals here. So, um, so we take it from there. But I think there are always new things to learn about how to share the word of God and how to to dig into it, because what we want in Vinod is is to to see what the, the Bible teaches us and and how we can give it to others. So the thing is that you don't have to be here tomorrow and Wednesday if you don't want. Um, please enter. Uh, you can. Uh, you are too late, by the way. So you should be standing up there waiting. Please sit down somewhere. Um, so today we are going to talk about Bible and how to understand the Bible, how to interpret the Bible, how to how to use it the proper way, and not only just pick something here and there and make something out of it. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to look into the process, but there will be other people here tomorrow probably. But we will talk about the process of preparing a sermon, getting the idea, structuring a sermon, making the notes, and 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 listening to God, being ready for what is to to be delivered. On Wednesday, we're going to talk about how is it to be in front of a crowd. What, how should you look? What should you be watchful for? And maybe we also go into into uh, uh, the the final bit of it because you you see this piece. Um, they say why Bible? Yes, because everything has to be on P, right? So before the before the Bible, Bible. You have also uh, things which are important, and that is the, the preacher. I mean, you are important. And your passion is important. Because it's not only going into the Bible and looking what it says, it's what you have to bring in. So you have two other P's before that P. Um, what is there more to say about that? Yeah, I will come back to, to the passion in a second, I think. And in the end, after the pulpit is also the presence and the power because because we are not finished when we finish a sermon we have to involve God and see what happens then I think that's one of the exciting things by by uh, uh, preaching in the vineyard is that we're not finished when we close the Bible we say Holy Spirit where are you what's happening now yeah so So according to the book, you need to love the Bible. You need to to uh, love to read it and to practice it because you are bringing the practice. You are bringing your the result of what you are 
you are uh, uh, getting from the Bible into it. When you read about praying for people and you pray for people, you bring the practice back to the preacher. You need to memorize him. Some words you need to know and to tell and to 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 uh, contemplate on. And you need to pray around the Bible and you need to study it. This is not a comprehensive list, by the way, but but the Bible should be. It's not only you don't only pick the Bible and and and, and say, well, I'm going to preach from this. This needs to be a part of your life. I know you know this, so this is just a warm up. But these three days, uh, this is more or less what we will be looking through because uh, because uh, first today we will talk about reading the Bible, and that is what we call exegesis, which is what does the Bible actually say? What did it really say to the original uh, listeners? And we will look on exegesis, which is what can we bring out from the text, instead of exegesis, which is very popular these days, which is what do I bring into the text. First, we need to get things out from the text. So... um, and then there are some theological points. There are some reasons why God has put it there. Why? Why was this written? Why is this included in the Bible? And we will, we will touch this today. Uh, and we will continue tomorrow, I think. And what theological points is in the text so that we can... We, can, uh, we need to dance a little so we yeah. can get the light back. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and then homiletics is the art of making a sermon... Uh, where we more look into who is your audience? I mean, what are the people you are bringing this to? Your new findings, your revelation from the Bible. And uh, how do you make a sermon that is relevant for that audience? How are your findings in the Bible? How is that relating to our modern world? Please stop me and ask, because since I've gotten only one hour and 50 minutes, we need to just rush through. Because there is a problem in presenting the Bible to the modern world, which is that the Bible wasn't written for you. In God's heart, it was written for you. But the day it was written, it was written for another audience. In another time, 2,000 to 3,000 years ago, right? It was written in another language. There are lots of misunderstandings which can happen uh, when you translate and maybe it's even translated two times that something Jesus says in Aramaic was translated into Greek and then you translate it into into Swedish or Norwegian and it happened in another another culture with different culture codes we heard uh, in the Bible lesson this morning how um, how different cultures have different approaches to shame and guilt and fear uh, very insightful uh, uh, lesson from from uh, from Ari, and it was in another situation that you are in. I mean, it was probably a, a, a very definite problem which which is uh, addressed in, in the Bible, and you need to find that. And it's in another historical context, another politic, another. Uh, regime, another, everything. And your job is to find the meaning. Your first job 
is to find the meaning for the original, original listeners. That's what we call ex exegesis, right? And we often do a poor job in that. But, but it's very exciting because you find things you never would find if you do the exegesis right. So, these are some exegetical rules which could be good to have uh, before your eyes. And that is uh, the main and the plane. That's very, that's very, that's very vineyard, isn't it? Um, because there is so much rich meaning in the main and the plane. We do not try to, we do not need to make ourselves uh, interesting or, or important in any way. Uh, we don't need to speculate. We should avoid allegories, uh, which is try to find a meaning, hidden meaning, which is not there from the beginning. In times in church history, allegories has been, uh, has been uh, very, very popular, uh, and it's often very little useful. But we can, we can show a, an example for that, because uh, at the time of Augustine, um, there were theologians who tried to find allegories everywhere in the Bible. So, for example, this story, which you know, which is, which story is this? It's not Lazarus. It, it's a little small, maybe. But it's, um, it's the, you see someone is walking, he's attacked by someone, he falls down, someone is coming and helps him. It's a good Samaritan, that's right. So, uh, to us, or the plain meaning... What is, what is that? Yes? Help. Help. <laughs> right, good. <laughs> That's the plainest meaning of all. When Augustine read this, this is what he found. He found that Jericho, that was our mortality, and the man was Adam, who goes for a journey, and he is he's, uh, assaulted by the devil and his angels, and they are beating him, they are persu persuading him to sin, and, uh, and it, they are leaving him dead, spiritual, dead spiritually. Uh, and then the Good Samaritan comes, that's Jesus, who uh, is bringing him to the church and to the innkeeper, which is Apostle Paul. So, I mean, nothing is wrong, probably. No, no, nothing is theologically wrong. But, but what happened to the point that Jesus uh, were trying to make? It's completely lost. And that's what's happening when we're starting to speculate and, and, and find interesting points. Um, do not try to make big points out of small points. Try to find the main points, the big points in the story. And do not ever, ever, ever make new theology. I mean, you, you can find you can find good lost theology sometimes in uh, in in some passages, but never make anything. And the, another basic rule, and that is what we're going to work with most today, is that texts and units are always seen in context. Always in context, and the most important is the textual context. We will look at that in a moment. But you also have a historical framework for what is happening. That's the historical context. And you have a cultural context, which could be Judaism or, or uh, 
Roman culture or whatever. And another key point is that the Old Testament are always interpret, interpreted through, through the New Testament. Uh, Jesus and, and the, the way of Jesus is the key to understand the Old Testament. Jesus said, it has been said to you, but I tell you. He comes as a new Moses and he sets a new standard and gives us new spectacles to look at the Old Testament in a new way. That does not mean that we can read Jesus into anything in the Old Testament. That could again lead to some kind of... of uh, anything or uh, everything? Everything. Sorry, everything. And uh, there are lots of advisors and lots of uh, mentors you can have on the way, but, but you should try to do the work and make it your own. The best sermon is not the one you have imported from someone else. It's something you have wrestled with yourself. You're on so far? Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah, then we have to pass Augustine again. Okay, let's look at the context. Um, we will again look at textual context in more detail in a moment, uh, but that is the connection between different text elements, between the word, sentence, and so on. And uh, you have different tools, and we will look, we will demonstrate, and I will give you some tools in that, in, uh, in Bibles, in uh, Concordians, uh, net, uh, uh, internet, and so on. And you have the historic context, um, which is the history of the antique church history and also the biblical history. And you will find lots of Atlas's books. The thing is, the most, I mean, one of the really exciting things in our time is that we have lots of resources. There are endless resources to find out. The problem is more to pick and choose which are the resources, which are the credible resources. That's one thing course and need to be credible but also which are useful for you i will show you one one tool afterwards which have helped me a lot but it could be others and uh, you also have uh, cultural context which is what kind of rights do they have i mean what does it mean when the when the prodigal son is coming home and the father embraces him what did that mean in that context by the way luke's parables are looking into the cultural context and how jesus is breaking I mean, every, uh, everything they, they thought about how like a father should, 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 uh, should be in that, so amazing. It shows so much of who Jesus is. And we need to see the cultural context to understand. But again, the most important and what we will, yeah, what we will spend time on is this, the textual context. And um, first we have the words. Because it's easy to, to uh, it's easy to take the Greek meaning or the Hebrew meaning of a word and, and find it and, and analyze a text from that, uh, and that's often very useful. Because sometimes could get lost in a translation. Sometimes could be that 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 you see ah well they could rather have been using that word because. Bible translation is a is a hard is a hard work. I think most Bible translations I see are great, but I always find things which I think, why did they write that? Because this is probably the meaning better. Like 
like Psalm 2 in, in the no last Norwegian Bible where it says uh, uh, about Messiah being installed uh, by God and, uh, and it says uh, 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 kiss, kiss the sun, that's the kiss the sun verse which has been translated and kiss the earth in, in Norwegian the only place where that word is translated to earth anyway um, but the thing is that the words have a package what is a package? The package for a word is a sentence. A word is related to other words in the same sentence. They are words which could mean very different things according to the sentence. Like, uh, like the word temptation in the Bible. It could also be test. You cannot just compare or say that it means that because that's what, uh, that's what the Bible, uh, uh, the word the dictionary says uh, the world can be can mean different things because uh, the world can mean just the world or it can mean Satan's world or temptation or our flesh it could change after which writer who uses it John uses words differently than Luke for example and you need to look at the sentence before and after so you so you get a And there is a passage. Sentence is part of a passage, which is a whole text unit. Um, and then a passage again is part of a book. What happens before that passage and after that passage? Much, much of Jesus' teaching is happening in context where the context happens before. And then Jesus tries to explain and the passage is part of a book. Who wrote that book? What was important for that writer when he wrote that book? There's a difference between, like, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's perspective on how they present Jesus. Like, uh, Matthew is presenting Jesus as a new Moses, and a king, and a Messiah. And Luke is presenting Jesus as, as, the, as the savior of the world, and the... And the the, the compassionate, the compassionate uh, ruler who, who embraces the poor. Uh, so, um, so if, if you're going to preach, you're going to if you're going to preach and you, you preach from Luke, you, you can mention who Luke was and, and, and why he was emphasizing just that. Luke is, for example, the one who is describing the describing the uh, miracles in detail because it was a, he was a doctor and he was very detail focused sometimes and then you have genres in the, in the bible and um, oh, sorry um, because there's a difference if there is a poetry going on uh, or if there is a words of wisdom, or if there is a law, or historical narrative, like in historical narratives, like in Genesis, theological points are made not explicitly but through through the actions of the persons involved. But but you very seldom see, like in the epistles of, of Paul, that that you say do this, do that, like this. You have to. 
you have to extract the points from the story in another way. Um, so uh, and you have prophecies, and you have gospels, and you have the letters, and you have the apocalyptic, which is about the end times. And and uh, the the message from these different genres are different. And then you could have like, if you talk about like historical narrative, like uh, like uh, Genesis, also have poetry in it. For example, Miriam's song is just some poetry put into something else. You could also put parables as a as a different genre, but it's included in the Gospels too. And then it's a it's part of a testament. It's not the same thing if it's written in the New Testament or the Old Testament. It has a different context. Uh, and it has a different context often if, if things are repeated in the New Testament. Like uh, when, uh, when Jesus is quoting Yesiah, it's, it's, it's in a different context. It's the same words, but, but the context around it is different. And you have the whole Bible. The whole Bible has a story to tell. And it's a story about God's creation and man's fall, the redemption, and Jesus' second coming. So, so somewhere in this story, the, the little story you are studying is part of that. I need to track the time. Okay. Now, tools. Um, the tools in interpreting the Bible or to find the textual uh, the textual uh, context which we are talking about now you could use different translations of the Bible as I said the Norwegian Bible is not perfect the Svenska Folkbibeln is of course but uh, that's another I story would, I wouldn't <laughs> say that <but laughs> no I found some, some places where it's better than the Norwegian that's uh, and uh, and uh, you you need tools for finding the meaning of uh, Greek or the Hebrew. Uh, there is a tool I will present in a moment, which is called BibleHub.com. That does not that that does not mean that that is a perfect one, but that's the one I use a lot because you get more or less everything you need. Uh, there's a concordance where you can look where where are things. Where is, are these words written other places? And you have commentaries where you can see what time other uh, theologians said about that passage. And you have books written around uh, which gives even another perspective on it. And you can see what other preachers have been doing. You can listen to sermons online made by other preachers. So it's a good idea to steal because everyone steals, but no one tells about it. So that's uh, preaching is one of the places where where uh, that commandment is uh, is. You borrow. Yeah, you, you, borrow. you borrow. Yes. We computer guys call it the case method. Uh huh. Copy or steal everything. Copy or steal everything. <laughs> yeah. Case method. Okay. Yeah. If you if you copy a whole sermon, you should you should uh, you, you should tell where it's from. But you normally will take bits bits and bolts <laughs> and use it. Uh, if you listen to other preachers, be aware of theological differences between because they are there, and um, sometimes they could be quite annoying. There's someone you really trust, but you know he's from another theological strand than you, 
and and you say, oh, I cannot use that. There's a there's a um, Calvary Chapel preacher I'm listening to a lot because he's good. He's good in going into details. He's called uh, David Guzik, American. But sometimes his theology just comes through when it's talk about when it talks about the 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 mustard seed, which grows up and uh, and he says uh, the birds make their nests in the in, in in a tree. I would say that's a sign that this is tree so big that the birds can can come down. But he says this is a church and it's a fallen church and and the and the the birds means that 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 the world takes part of it or yeah tries to take the tree but I said, it's not about the church it's about the kingdom of god yeah so uh so try to find preachers you like and and listen to the sermons listen to the style you don't have to copy it but you can copy parts of it right okay so just a little demonstration of bible hub bible hub as a tool um if you have internet now, it is there internet within this room, is it? It's a little hard in the in this hall, I think. Yeah, I, I'm You're not sure? sure. I'm, no, I'm not sure. Okay, then I can just explain, and that's easier for for the time too. If I use Bible Hub, I write in Google, I write Bible Hub come, and the words we're going to look on afterwards, Rev for Revelation three space twenty. Do you, do you get connection here when things yeah. are done? Yeah, yeah, you do? Okay. Yeah, then you can do it. Then you get up automatically. You get to different translations. You get lots of different English translations for it. If you need other translations, Bible Kum could be a place where you find can even find Svenska Folkbibeln. Um, and you see there's a top menu. If you press Greek... You will get a Greek uh, definition or, or a, a Greek list of all the all the Greek words used in exactly that verse. If you press the number, you can go further on and get a very very detailed explanation of each word. You you can get lost, really get lost. Um, if you press lexicon, you get a short explanation for that word. Maybe that's better. I've often got gone to the to the Greek kind of thing. If you press lexicon, you will get maybe more you need an overview of the different words and, and what they mean and how they're used. Question. Yes? Uh, when you, when you uh, go into the Greek definition, yeah. is it uh, the meaning they have chosen for that verse then, or do you get all no. the different meanings? Yes, all the different, okay. be, be because it's word-based. All right. Okay. So therefore you need to, I mean, you, if, if you put on, if you take like... Uh, Temptation, you will get both the test and temptation explanation. Right. So therefore, you need to go further than the word. But you could press the comment. Then you will get the different commentaries, lots of them. So many that, again, you need to find which commentaries do you trust. Is it Matthew Henry from the 1700s, or is it, uh, is it Wesley from the 1700s again? <laughs> or is, are there others? Um, or you can press sermon and get sermon suggestions. That's a panic button, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be done by 10 tomorrow.
Yes. Okay. We will look at a case together, which we solve together. And if there are time after that, maybe not, we will, uh, I will put you on a case yourself. So, this is a very well-known verse. Here I am, stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And the reason why I'm taking this is because this is very much used verse. And we often use it wrong. Much of this course is based on what I have learned from, uh, from Derek Morphew, which is a Wiener pastor and theologian in, uh, in South Africa. And in fact, he was saved by this word. And he was saved by a wrong use of this verse. So he said that I see that evangelistically you can use it however you want. Uh, if, <laughs> if the evangelist had been doing his exegesis pro properly, maybe Derek hadn't been saved. I'm not sure. But, uh, <laughs> but the easy take on this, what is that? That is open up your heart for Jesus and be saved. If you look at this uh, classic uh, picture, you will see that uh, the door does not have a handle on the outside. It's you who have the only possibility to lock Jesus in from the inside. But is this a right representation of this verse? How do we find out? Okay. Uh, we go to the word section to that. Um, there is not very much to to uh, find on that. Maybe I should try and find my own script on. No, it's only on this. Okay, maybe I should change them to. I think I changed because we see this this just as well. Um, I will say that neither in the word or in the, in the sentence is not very interesting. Maybe I will look up the, uh, with that person and they with me, but I didn't find anything specific that really when I tried. Um, but if you, if you look, look at the passage... Because it starts one verse before. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I stand and, and, and then on. Because what we find is that this is not about receiving Christ, but it's about rebuke and repentance from one who is already a believer. What is the literary unit or the or the yeah literary unit book? This is the first part of Revelation, uh, and the context are the seven churches which are rebuked and sometimes uh, cherished by by the Lord for where they are. They are in a very difficult situation. The pressure is harder and harder, and they are on the brink of collapse. But do they see it? Um, so uh, it's comfort. Uh, I mean, the revelation itself is uh, the revelation itself is about comfort in distress. It's not about scaring us. If you read the revelation, you will find that it's about giving hope to people who are hopeless because things are so crazy around them. 
So, and the message is, it's going to be worse, but God is in control. Um, and it's, it's about perseverance in trials, and it's about faithfulness to the Lord in difficult situations. So we see, here we have the drowners. Uh, the apocalypse is about the end times and what is about to happen. Um, which doesn't give any very specific meaning in this, in this point. But the textual context here is about, uh, this is a church in Laodicea. It's the last church mentioned among those seven churches, and it's one of the churches which, which, which comes, uh, which gives the baddest impression. <laughs> and um, and it's, uh, it's the last of the churches to be rebuked. Maybe it's the worst of the churches there. I'm not sure if it's Laodicea or it's, yeah, some of these others. Where, where did Satan's temple stand if that was, uh, I don't remember. But what Jesus says about them is that they are neither cold or hot. Um, and the one who is saying this that's the ruler of creation he's Alpha and Omega and he says you think you are rich but you are wretched, you are pitiful, you are poor you are blind, you are naked you have met the saviour but you have turned against him with your, with your lukewarmness so it's an advice uh, an advice to repent but still a very gentle approach a very very kind approach to, to someone who has just lost the heart to the Lord, right? So, and historical context. Now we go away from the textual context. Laodicea in the Bible is the only time Laodicea is mentioned is in Turkey. It's inside the inland Turkey. It was a financial center. It was wealthy because it was a trading center. People had money. And um, this was at the time of Domitian, he was the first emperor who declared himself a god while he was alive. The others waited until they were dead, but Domitian, who started a cruel persecution, uh, he, he did it uh, while he was alive. Uh, he was a guy who arrested John and sent him to Patmos, by the way. Uh, and the persecution involved probably the ability to buy and sell if he were not if you were not joining the, the greater society, uh, or maybe killed. It says something about the mark of the beast, which was probably about buying and selling. So which meant that the Christians were probably compromising to be able to buy and sell. Uh, the thing is that we know also from the historical context that, that the church in Laodicea survived, and it was later hosts of one of the one of the big uh, councils, so maybe they listened to John. We don't know, but uh, I, I guess and I hope they did. Um, so, I, and and this was this was very easy to find. That's the fascinating thing by our time. If you look at if you if you just Google Laodicea and and you you make the basic screening of the of the not-so-serious uh, sources. Okay, let's take the cultural context then. Eating. Jesus says he will, he will eat, he will, he will come and, and have a meal with them if they repent. 
uh, in old times, uh, a meal was a very significant thing. It, it was not just going to McDonald's and sharing a hamburger. It was a you never would have a meal with, with someone you had a conflict with, right? Uh, so so that means that you have a you have a, a, a friendship or a fellowship, and you you gather around the most blessed thing of all, which is a meal. The, the, the breaking of bread is, by the way, same of that part of the same uh, cultural context, which is the most intimate thing you can do is sitting together and sh- even sharing wine and bread, Jesus himself. Uh, yeah. Why was this written? To warn the church not to compromise with the world. I think that's a, that's a very good and timely thing to present to to our congregations um, and uh, the, if we should take some theological points why was this written well I will say the, the church is Jesus church it's not our church it's he that he who sets he sets the rules and he he is the one who defines who we are in the world um, and if we do not keep the love and obedience to to Jesus in the center, he will spit us out. I mean, he will leave us. That's that's a very, that's a very grave message. It's a serious thing. Um, it's a harsh statement, but it's a statement that needs to be preached, which gives this passage a, a whole other dimension than just letting Jesus be our savior. There are lots of passages which is about just letting Jesus. Uh, uh, save us but this passage is not um, so that means that we by convenience to the world or by false teaching or by not abiding uh, Jesus can 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 be I mean left out by him okay um, yes then we go back here. Uh, yes. Yeah, this was not right, but anyway. Uh, yep. The rest of the time, let's say we take 20 minutes. And you have you have uh, Philippians 4.4. 4. You have been asked to give a sermon on joy, and you remember Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and you want to make a sermon around that verse. What is an exegetical work you will do first? I can go back to the list about what you can do, and you will not have time in 20 minutes to find everything, so I, I suggest that you just try to make part of it. Well, just just to find, I mean, find some of the context yeah. and and report it back. So when it's oh, yeah. when it's uh, when it's twelve o'clock, we take a ten minute uh, just summing up what we have found. Some points we found. Actually. What points you have found? Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Should I pause this uh, order? Oh yeah.